0: readings will be from Exodus chapter 20, and immediately after that we will be turning to Luke chapter 12. So if you want to go ahead and mark that, we're going to be reading first from Exodus 20 and then turning to Luke chapter 12. Our first scripture reading will be from Exodus 20 verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. I'll now be reading from Luke chapter 12, specifically Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God.
1: We finished this morning talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. And I suppose it would be okay if we started there this evening. In my sermon planning, I did not plan this this way to finish up the Ten Commandments in our study that's been going on for several months now and uh, over the period of time and and, uh, occasion. But I wanted to speak especially about what Jesus says about covetousness because I believe that the heart of what you find there in Exodus chapter 20 is given right here in the heart of what the Savior talks about in Luke chapter 12. And so we're going to be hanging out in the the chapter of Luke chapter 12 uh, this evening. In looking at what we talked about this morning regarding giving and being a generous person and being a person who lets their finances serve the purpose for which God created them, I suppose this evening would just be the opposite side of the coin. What happens when you have somebody that believes their finances to be the end themselves, the goal for their life, as opposed to the means of the end to glorify God? what's going to happen is you're going to have a man with a full barn, but a really empty soul, a really empty life. As we look at this chapter in Luke chapter 12, I want you to understand a couple things about this. What prompted Jesus to speak about what he spoke about? If you'll note just for a moment, Jesus is teaching at the very beginning of this chapter about suffering. He's teaching his uh, disciples about the difficulty that's going to come, particularly of being his disciples, about how there's going to be people that drag them into court and about how it is that they shouldn't worry in those hours about what it is that they're going to say because he said in that time, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what, ne- what needs to be said. You don't have to worry about that. Speaking about those uh, who were his, his apostles, those early disciples that would have to stand before magistrates and and, and give a testimony about why it is that they believed the way that they believe. In the midst of this, there's a numeral multitude that's following him. You actually take a look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. It says that there's so many people following him that there are people that are getting trampled. And out of all this, while Jesus is doing this teaching of his disciples and the people that are closest to him, there is a man who cries out something right in the middle of this chapter. The prompt is for this section of scripture, verse 13. A man cries out to Jesus as a teacher. He says, teacher, you tell my brother to divide my inheritance or divide the inheritance with me, to which Jesus simply replies, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He takes this occasion to give this principle, which is going to hinge on, or uh, cause the rest of this parable to hinge on what it is that he has to say. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. Let me paint this in just a little bit different uh, way as we look at these words closer. Take heed. This is to see with the eyes, to perceive, to understand. To We might say watch out and beware. Here's a, a seemingly military term where we'll talk about keeping a guard over. I want to keep this from escaping my eyes. Keep your eyes open, Jesus says, and you watch carefully. Make sure that you've got a guard on this thing called covetousness. Simply defined, it is the greedy desire to have more and more and more. I'm sure that nobody's afflicted with that today in America, almost 2020, are they? For a man's life force, for his animation, for his purpose for being here, as Jesus says, is not given, is not for the purpose of exceeding in a completely different number or a completely different measure of possessions or goods or wealth or property. That's not why we're here. It's not about stuff. It's not about gaining more stuff. It's not about, as Moses would say by inspiration, looking down at your neighbor and saying, I want what my neighbor has down the road. We say keeping up with the Joneses. Having the latest, having the greatest inventions—that that is a very real temptation. And wanting to look down the road and say, I want what he has. I am so desirous of them and what they're doing. God says no in the Old Testament. God says no in the New Testament. Take heed and beware. Watch out for, put a guard over covetousness. Your life is not about the accumulation of stuff, materials, property, money, whatever that is. That's the principle that he's trying to get across, not only to this man, but also to these people. And note also, this is going to lead us to a point. Brothers and sisters, as Jesus tells this parable about this man who's got way too much stuff, and there's so much stuff that he's going to build barns, build bigger barns, because that's his only solution, to the point where he sits down and he says, well, I've got everything taken care of, I've got all my bases covered, I can eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to spend many years enjoying all of these things. God calls a person like that a fool. He says, fool, this night your life shall be required of you. Your soul shall be required of you. Then whose things will you be which you have provided? Note verse 21. This is the kicker. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. As we look at our lives and what they're all about, brothers and sisters, we have to ask the question, and Jesus wants us to ask this question based upon this, is my life about stuff? Is my life about things? Is my life about the material, the things that I can hold in my hand, that I can sit on or I can stand on? Or is my life about being rich towards God? Let's look just for a few moments this evening at this rich man and his priority list and see if some of these things don't. Well, sound familiar. Rich man, if you make a list of the things that he is responsible for and the things that he really wants to accomplish, put something on his priority list like this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to yield a bountiful crop. And we would say, absolutely, check. Right? He said to them, "Uh, the ground of a certain rich man, verse 16, yielded plentifully. America. 2019, almost 2020, is we still call it the land of opportunity. Yes, there are those who will look at our freedoms and look at the abilities that we have and they say, well, I want to move somewhere else. It's not the same country I know, but did you know there's still more people trying to get into America than they are trying to get out of America? Why is that? Because they recognize the abundance and the plenty and the land of opportunity and the ability that it is that foreigners coming over are four times as likely to become millionaires as one who is natively born here. Because they realize with hard work, with practice, with continuing persistence, that they can become exceedingly wealthy here in this land. Say what you want to about the economy and income and pay pay gap. You still have the ability in this country to fulfill a niche and to find your place and accumulate wealth. This rich man had that on his priority list. Note also that he had the priority list. I'm going to build huge barns. (laughs) Here's a guy. He's already got barns. And he thought within himself, verse 17, saying, what shall I do since I have no more room to store my crops? He kind of feels sorry for this guy. (laughs) He's got uh, uh, more income than he does, and he knows what to do with. And so he says, what I'm going to do is get a storage shed down at the local A1, right? That's what we would do. Instead, he says, I'm going to tear these barns down. I'm going to build even bigger barns. Check. Got that done. What else does the rich man want to do? Well, he wants to achieve financial security. He looks within himself. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build barns and uh, build my grater. And there I'm going to store all my crops and goods. And then I'm going to say to my soul, Soul, you have taken many goods, laid up for many years. Take your ease. He achieved that financial security he got. You know, you get a wealth advisor. My future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. Got a plan to travel, take your ease. He's able to permit himself to take his ease from his labor, to lay down on that couch and never get up again if he doesn't want to. Last thing he wants to do is say, I want to eat, drink, and be merry. To eat. Can you imagine this guy eating at the finest restaurants the first century had to offer? Can you imagine this man drinking to the point of uh, drinking deeply from what life has, to the point where he can't take anymore? Being merry, feeling well. There's a group, a religious group that says, "Be well, we want you to be well, be happy being you and what his last part was is he said, "I need to remember not to die." There was a popular comedian that was uh about uh well whenever I was a teenager, I remember listening to him his name was Stephen Wright he was a very very dry sense of humor, a very very monotone guy, and that was his stick i guess and in, in how he communicated, but one of the things he said at one point was I plan to live forever, so far, so good. (laughs) So far, so good. There's a lot of people that plan to live forever, and they look at themselves and say, so far, so good. And yet the one glaring thing that this rich man neglected, the one glaring thing that he didn't prepare for, is the inevitable time, whenever it was, that there was going to be a a tombstone with his name on it. There are practical problems of this mindset. In fact, if you want to circle the word of what God calls this man, God says, you fool. Here's a person who, even though they had all their bases covered financially in this life, God would still look at a person like this and call them a fool. Begs the question, am I rich towards God? Am I foolishly treating my life like this is all there is? I plan to live forever, so far, so good. What's the problem with this mindset? First thing is that we can note is he's short-sighted. It's very, very short-sighted to do this. This night, God says, it's not 10 years from now. It's not 100 years from now. It's not whenever you're 80 and you're late 80s and you're feeling good and, and all of a sudden you're going to be struck down. God says, this night your life shall be required of you. Have I prepared and planned my life so that if I were to die this very night, that I, my soul would be secure, that my life would be characterized by being rich towards God, as using Jesus' words here in this parable. There's a man by the name of William Randolph Hearst. Many of you may have uh, heard about or visited uh, Hearst Castle over in California. It actually has its 100th year anniversary next year. William Randolph Hearst at one time owned uh, 50 miles of the California coastline. If you can imagine that with how much it is to buy a house now in California, especially one that faced the ocean, you can't imagine how much wealth this man had. He was a stuffaholic. He had 3,500-year-old Egyptian statues, medieval Flemish tapestries, uh, century-old hand-carved ceilings. The greatest works of art from all time, he built a 72,000-square-foot house. He acquired 256 acres. He tore down this pool that you see behind it. It's called the Neptune Pool. He didn't like the way the first two times that the builders built it, and so he tore it down twice before it was that he got exactly what he wanted. And the stuff he collected for 88 years of his life, you know what he did then? He died. He died. He was that short-sighted. I wonder sometimes if we as Christians wander around in our lives being short-sighted. The Bible would tell us that if we fail to continue to grow as Christians, this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, about how God wants us to add to our faith virtue and virtue, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and all of those things that he lists there. And he said, For he that has, has forgotten how to do these things, or he who doesn't do these things, is short-sighted even into blindness. And has forgotten he was cleansed from his old ways. He was cleansed from his old sins. I wonder sometimes if we get blinded by the materialism of our world and think that our life consists in the abundance of things that we possess. Are we covetous? Are we people who are ruled by greed and the material things to desire to get more? The rich man was short-sighted. The rich man had a serious eye problem. Serious I problem. The letter I is the center in the word pride. Note this 17 times, I think, in three verses. Verse 17. Then he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no more rooms to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my Soul, Soul, You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Man, so short-sighted, he can't see past his own wants and his own desires. Excuse me, 11 times in three verses, not 17 times. He had a serious eye problem, pride, and looking at his own material wealth and saying, I'm set, I've got everything that I need. Man failed in things of lasting importance interesting to me that the last one to speak in this occasion is the one whose opinion really matters, the one whose word really matters. After verse 19, the rich man had already had his plans laid out, and yet in matters of lasting importance, as in how he related to his creator and his judge, it is God who said, Rich man didn't have the last word. God had the last word. The rich, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Then whose will these things which you uh, be which you have provided? What God says about your legacy, brothers and sisters, is really the only one who matters. It's not how much you had in this life. It's not about how many cars you had or how big your house was like uh, William Randolph Hearst. It's about us being rich towards God. Certainly not the least of which, but the last point that we want to make about this man is this man obviously worried a lot. This man obviously worried a lot. His his wealth caused him worry. Verse 17, you hear the angst in his voice. What shall I do? I've got this big problem. I've got these uh, this this income. I've got all these crops, and they're just sitting out there. They're getting ready to rot. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle it? They can't stay out there forever. I've got to, I've got to worry about this. And can you imagine this man? Again, I know it's a story that Jesus told, but can you imagine this man spending sleepless nights trying to get the blueprints and the designs for his barns exactly right so he can make sure that he is set? When it is, the psalmist, as we've Our young children just saying, the one that's going to be blessed is the one who makes his delight in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. You've got to imagine a person like that would minimize their worry based upon knowing that they're rich towards God. So how do we solve this? How do we take care of this? How do we make sure that we are people who are rich towards God? What should our priority list be? Let me give you a couple of things and lesson's yours. Number one, brothers and sisters, we've got to take time to grow a great soul. We've got to take the time to grow a great soul. The way that you grow a great soul is you spend time with the one who can enrich your life like nobody else. And Jesus being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and looking at what it was that the Lord wanted or what it is that Satan wanted him to do. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answering from the book of Deuteronomy, Matthew 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What does God want us to do? He wants us to make His word our sustenance. He wants us to be people that hunger and thirst after righteousness, Matthew 5, verse 6. He wants us to be people who are enriched in all spiritual blessings and understand the, the, the blessings that God has given us as a father. And the fact that we have all spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Spending time growing a great soul means we look at Jesus and say, how did he go about his life? What things did he prioritize? He prioritized being selfless. He prioritized being a servant. He prioritized himself going about doing good for others. And Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have a responsibility in our growing a great soul to look to Jesus, who is the author and finish of our faith, and look to him and see how he related every day to the people around him, <clears throat> to the situations around him. Understanding what Jesus said in Acts 20 and verse 35, a verse, a, a words of Jesus that are quoted nowhere else in the gospel accounts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We're back to our lesson from this morning. Take time to grow a great soul. Number two, how do we make sure that we're rich towards God? We make the temporal serve the eternal. Make the temporal serve the eternal. As God blesses us materially, financially, those things, as we mentioned a moment ago, are not ends of themselves but they are means to an end to bless and serve others. And here's the thing, as we are conduits of God's grace, as we are conduits of God's kindness, materially, financially, all of those things, as God hands us blessings, we take those blessings and we hand those off to other people. But you know what, as we hand off those blessings, you know what God does? He gives us even more so that it is we can hand off. I don't want you to think about your life as a reservoir. See, reservoirs, everything flows into it. There's no outlet. But our lives are channels of God's blessing. Our lives are ways that God blesses other people. And it is that if we decide that we're going to be stingy, we're going to hoard up all of our wealth, and we're never going to do those things, we can expect that it is that our lives are going to be serving the material, the temporal, rather than the eternal. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust and thieves can't touch those things. Paraphrasing. That's Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Make the temporal, the things we have now, serve the eternal purpose of what God wants us to be. Number three, point people to what really matters. Point people to what really matters. There's a possibility, verse 13, you go back to the original point or the original man who shouted out, man, uh, Jesus, tell me to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Could have been possibly that this man was already wealthy. You have somebody that's already wealthy and somebody uh, says, okay, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you a $100,000 check and divide the inheritance. What is this man going to do with it? He's already wealthy. He's already got everything that he needs. Well, then. You become more like this rich man because you don't appreciate what it is that you've got. Instead, what this man seemed like he was doing was sacrificing this relationship with his brother over something as trivial as money. Something as trivial as money. Something as temporal. You ever know people that destroy relationships because of money? Because money gets in the way? We're going to really characterize disciples of Jesus that way to say that money is more important than that right relationship with this brother or sister or this person and how it is that sometimes we can be looking too much at the dollar signs and not enough at the soul that's involved. That's why it was that Paul in talking about taking the brother to court in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 mentioned the fact that here's these Christians, these brothers in Christ that over property over uh, or relationships or whatever it was, they're taking, somebody's taking another one to court before this unrighteous judge. And the judge has to say, all right, how do you two know each other? Well, we, we're members of the church. We're Christians together. We're brothers in Christ. And this judge kind of going, really? And I wonder if God does the same thing in our lives whenever he sees brothers and sisters not behaving like they ought to because things like money get in the way. You're going to sacrifice such a shallow, trivial, temporal thing for somebody's eternal soul in dwelling together in a right fellowship. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Point people to what really matters Be generous with your possessions. Be generous with your possessions. This rich man, I kind of wonder what kind of personality and character he had if you were to go and dine with him, if you were going to go and eat with him. You ever heard the term miser? Miser. Ebenezer Scrooge was a miser. One who hoards money, literal definition from Webster, spends as little as possible. You know what you find about people like that? They're usually wretched. They're usually unhappy or ill or sick or bad. It is the root miser of the word that we use, misery, miserable. There's a point where riches will fail to provide what it is that we think that they're designed to provide, happiness, contentment, peace. Joy, all of those things. And if we put our trust in those uncertain riches, if we make our lives about covetousness, they are going to fail and we are going to be miserable. And you're never going to find anybody more miserable than somebody that has money as their master. Our life is to bless other people and bless the work of God and helping others to prepare for eternity. One of the great, greatest investments you can make is investing in the work of the church. Last one. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the day. God has given you life. God who gives life to all things, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13. God has blessed your life. Every good and perfect gift comes down from, the, from a father of lights, James chapter 1 and verse 17. And as we live and as God blesses us, it is right that we say thank you. In everything give thanks, Philippians 4 verse 6. 1 Thessalonians 5, in everything we say, thank you, but it is also right that we say, God, I trust you. And every day that he gives us is a brand new opportunity to rejoice in the gift of of life that he's given us. The psalmist said, Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And it is right that we absolutely say, as you have blessed me, so I, God, will to bless other people. We mentioned Rand- William Randolph Hearst just a moment ago. Uh, he was a man who had an incredible art collection. And in fact, on one occasion, he learned that there was some artwork that was uh, he was determined to obtain. So what he did was he sent out all of his agents to go and try and find out where this treasure was, where this famous piece of artwork was. And after months and months of investigating, Gager reported that the treasure had been found. To further sweeten the deal, Hearst learned that the relic wouldn't cost him a dime. You know why? Because he already owned it. He already owned it. (laughs) The rediscovered piece of art, the one that he wanted so badly, was in Hearst's warehouse with many other treasures that had likewise never been uncreated. Sad whenever you find people who have the desire to acquire more, being blind from what they already possess. As Christians, I wonder sometimes if it is that we have the desire to more for more and looking for things that will make us happy, joyful, fulfilled, when it is that God tells us that every spiritual blessing is in the heavenly places in Christ. He's the one that can add contentment and peace and joy and fulfillment to your life the way that there is no temporal thing that can ever do that. Remember that as Cyber Monday happens tomorrow. Remember that as the giving season is upon us. And remember that your life doesn't consist in the abundance of things you possess. Your life consists in being rich towards God. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.